Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Red Inca. I'm Jared Kimber. On this episode of Red Inca, we look at how England are using their white ball skills to play better red ball cricket. For that, we get on a man who just wrote all about the England white ball revolution in his new book. Matt Roller, co-author White Hots. We talk about how bad England were before the new openers, how Root has changed only a little bit, Stokes is playing more sensibly after earlier playing like his ass was on fire, how to get wickets with the old ball, so many short balls, the third innings pickle, and Joe Root's bowling. I love how you changed it because I made fun of you for the previous one where you did the entire subtitle. Um, Matt, I know everyone knows this. I don't think I've ever called you Matt before. I've always thought of you as a roller, but now now I've said Matt, it's out there. Um, uh, I know everyone knows this, but how bad were England at Red Bull cricket before baseball? <laughs> <laughs> really really bad um they the stat i don't know if you know this they won one out of their 17 games before basketball um yeah i love that stat but is it the better stat that extras was their fourth leading scorer in 2021 i mean that is the key thing the one out of 17 actually obscures some of the incredible stats like the ducks record stuff like that i mean just to sort of you know to if we think back to that away Ashes series followed by the Caribbean tour in early 2022, I think those were two of the, I think, you know, I'm someone who has always loved white ball cricket and has gone through phases with test cricket. At the moment, I love test cricket too, but I definitely didn't for a while when I was watching those England tours in the 21-2 winter when, um, particularly in Australia, when I was staying up through the night to watch them try and score at two and over, like sort of stated aim, try and score at two and over and, stated aim try and bolt dry as well to Australia and then got absolutely flogged by Travis Head um, and get, you know, rolled by Scott Boland and have Hamid getting hit on the gloves every ball. Uh, you know, obviously there, there were some, some mitigating factors with uh, COVID, which you probably can't underestimate, but they were a truly terrible team to watch um, in terms of style as much as anything. And yeah, uh it wasn't like the style was justified by results. It was uh, terrible results and terrible to watch. I mean, I think people have forgotten the dentury. Yeah. You know, the <laughs> the hun- uh, Joe, uh, Joe Deadly, Rory Birds, Dom Sibley. I'm missing someone. Even Alex Lees, I suppose, originally came in to just like, 
not go out for a while. Like rather that they had given up on making runs in their top order, which is one of the more remarkable things for, for a team who probably has, you know, in the history of cricket, the best collection of openers that anyone has ever had to suddenly go, the opening position is, is blank. Yeah. Right. And all we're going to do now is just put in a guy who we know isn't good enough, but maybe he won't go out as quick as someone else who also isn't as good. Yeah. It was like, it, it was truly awful. I think, it, sometimes um, it's a. I, I always find it's a useful exercise to uh, watch some cricket with a, a, sort of every summer. Try and do this at some point. Try and watch some cricket with someone who doesn't know anywhere near as much about the game as uh, most people who are involved in it. And if they so sort Alan of, Gardner, <laughs> that's very rude. Um, I was trying to think of who else. I should have said Miller. Um, uh, I'll take. Wait, we'll do that again. So Andrew Miller. <laughs> That's very rude. Um, you, you can get me fired. Nasha, you just sat with Nasha. No, no, no. Um, what I what I mean is to have you know a mate who doesn't like cricket um, yeah, yeah. sat next to you and basically saying, so uh, you know why aren't they trying to hit the ball? Why aren't they trying to score runs? Stuff like that. And you sort of try and come up with some convoluted logic as, oh well, maybe if they don't try and score runs, then it'll become easier for the person who comes next to score runs and all this stuff. And you kind of strip it back to a point where you're then questioning. Maybe it is actually better to just try and score runs. And I think England um, needed to, at some point to invite someone in who knew nothing about cricket and just say, why don't you just try and hit the ball? Um, but yeah, they didn't do that and they were terrible to watch and lost a lot of games. Well, I remember um, you, you talk about someone like that. I had a guy on my podcast and I've forgotten his name now, but he works for an analysis company in Australia, analysis website. And he, he wrote a piece about, he didn't understand why people were so defensive in test cricket. Mm when the averages in T20 cricket and, and one-day cricket were going up. And it, you and I know we, we have our normal cricket response to that, which is the white ball doesn't do anything. And so it's easier to do that. And players worked that out so they didn't go out to it. But essentially, that's what McCullum does, did at a certain point, right? I, I mean, what essentially what England have, did was is they went, they're not very good at hitting the red ball, but they're very good at hitting the white ball. What if we try and hit the red ball like it's a white ball and play in that sort of style? And it has worked. There's there's plenty of other uh, parts to baseball that are quite interesting as well. But the very the very the basis of it is even if you still are questioning it, which I think is fair, right? And they don't always do it well themselves, as they've been quite honest with of recent times, right? Um, and the moral stuff is the stuff I think that annoys everyone. But we're going to leave the moral of you know uh, all that sort of nonsense to the side for a minute. The very basic thing is that they were a terrible side, and McCullum has pulled them together to be at the very least a, a well above average side, and if not, almost as good as the best team in cricket. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, regardless of you know all the chat around the moral ashes, they drew to the World Test champions, and you know if it hadn't rained in Manchester, might well have won three two, and that is a um, that is a significant achievement. I think you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to argue that England aren't in the top three test teams at the moment in the world, yeah. um, as they probably should be, given they're you know, a big three board and all that sort of thing, and they have some very good players. But it, it's taken them from a hugely underperforming team to a team that's probably performing slightly above the level it should be. Um, so let's just go through what they've done. So essentially, <laughs> they've gone from not having openers to kind of not having openers and then using white ball players as openers, right? So Zach Crawley and Ben Duckett, I, I don't, I, I know you and I diverge a little bit on uh, on Zach Crawley, but the the basic thing is that they are playing the Hales-Roy role from the one-day team in Test cricket, right? Yeah. 
whether they're ever going to average 40 doing that, I highly doubt. But the guys before <laughs> weren't going to average 40 uh, unless you made 40 leaves per innings, right? So that makes sense because essentially what it does is it takes you away from getting the maximum impact of the new ball. And now you're on the defensive to start with against them because you don't want Crawley or Duckett to get to 70. Yeah. And, and I, I think, um, you know, clearly this summer was better for openers than recent English summers, but the 2022 summer, the sort of first basketball summer, Crawley averaged 23, which is a bad summer by any, uh, any any metric, any test opener averaging 23 for the summer is going to be disappointed. But every other and opener... Watch Roller try and turn no, this no, no, around. No, 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 no. But every, <laughs> every other opener in uh, in England who played test cricket collectively averaged 23. Um, so you got to a point where, you know, the question is, would you rather um, have someone who is, uh, you know, at least has the upside of scoring a potential quick 50, like Crawley did in one innings, which isn't enough over the summer, Um or would you rather have someone who is reliably gritting it out for 40-odd balls, 50-odd balls and getting 23? Um, and it, yeah, I think that the, the main comparison and signs of similarities for me between uh, Hales and Roy in, in 2015 and then uh, probably less, you know, it, obviously all of these things are a little bit complicated because Lee's starts in the team and then gets dropped after what seven games last summer where he gets a decent run. He did also started to attack himself. Yeah, he, he sort of tried to... He was a, a very unnatural fit in that current in that guise he was in at the start of last year when he sort of came into Test cricket and blocked the hell out of it in the West Indies. Um, but then last summer he he sort of reverted to what he used to be like early days at Yorkshire, where they used to call him Hados, um, and tried to give it a bit of a whack. It probably wasn't ideal for him. He probably was somewhere between the two, but um, they did still give him seven games, even though he wasn't a natural fit. You know, a lot of previous England teams. You fail a few times the first three games of the summer, you're out. We find the next guy on the revolving door. Um, but yeah, I think particularly when you compare Duckett and Crawley and Roy and Hales, both of them had assurances in terms of selection from coaches, formal or informal, where they were told you're going to get a run of games. So Hales and Roy before the 2015 summer were basically told, as long as you keep playing attacking shots, we're going to back you all year. You know, don't go thinking that you can't play like you do for your counties because if you get caught at deep wicket in the third over, we're going to drop you. We're absolutely not. Um, you know, as long as you keep playing attacking cricket, we back you to have a high enough upside. Very, very similar stuff has happened with Crawley and Duckett. Duckett before the Pakistan tour that it sort of his recall to the team. Um, he, he he's told you're going to get this tour and we're going to give you a proper crack at this. Don't be thinking you have to you know, get a certain number in your first game, otherwise you're out, you know, just play like you do for knots, try and score runs, play the way that's made you successful in first-class cricket over the past X years, um, and we'll keep you in the team, and they have. And, um, you know, it, obviously, you know, as you said, we I think we, we disagree to some extent on Crawley, but I think it's difficult to see his series against Australia this summer as anything other than some level of vindication for for backing a player and believing in their upside because, you know, I I don't think Crawley will ever average 40 in test cricket, but he, they backed him to have, to be better against genuine quicks than against sort of low 80s seamers. Uh, and he sort of proved himself to That completely to be, lived up to that. Yeah, yeah, and they backed him to have a couple of innings across the series that um, sort of completely changed the complexion of a game. And I think undeniably at Old Trafford that happened and to an extent, you know, Ed Baston day one and Oval day, was it four? 
Um, again, manages to do that. Maybe day three. It's the most wonderful time of the year, Christmas. And what better way to get into the holiday spirit than with a minky couture blanket? Whether you're gathered around the tree with loved ones, roasting marshmallows by the fire, or just looking for a cozy way to stay warm on a chilly night, minky blankets are the perfect addition to your Christmas festivities. With a wide range of festive designs and colors, you can find the perfect blanket to match your holiday decor or gift to your loved ones. So this Christmas, make your holiday even cozier with a minky couture blanket. Head to minkycouture.com now and find your perfect blanket just in time for the holiday. Happy holidays from Mickey Couture. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Yeah, no, no. I, so, so I think the openers makes the most amount of sense. As you said, Crawley's probably not going to average 40 in Test cricket, but until they can find someone who can average 40 at test cricket, I'm not sure there's a point of, I mean, it wasn't working what they were doing before, yeah. right? Um, and Duckett, again, very limited player in some ways, but because they can score quickly, they do change things. I find the Pope route, and I'll probably throw Stokes in here a little bit more interesting. Um, they're not really, so when, when baseball starts, do you remember how bad Stokes was batting at the beginning of baseball? Yeah, so I actually think this is a, a really interesting thing. So Morgan was talking about this on telly the other day, um, and he said something which fascinated me and I think will be really a, an interesting thing for you as well, where he was basically saying that he made such a big point in 2015 of being ultra-attacking himself. I think he scored at a strike rate of maybe 110 across that summer. Um, and he, he'd been in terrible form as well. I don't know if you remember that 2015 mm. World Cup. He scored a run. But he basically decided that if I'm going to get across this message that to say in this team you need to play attacking shots, if I do it myself, um, that's the best way to, to prove that. So, you know, first ball of a run chase against New Zealand, he slog sweeps Mitch Santner straight to the demon wicket. Um, he basically bats like a maniac all year. And Stokes did exactly the same last year. He basically, you know, he, he even sort of signaled it in the championship mm. beforehand he was going to do so. I think he hit, uh, it was a... It's Josh Baker. Left arm spinner, wasn't it? He just destroyed it. Yeah, again, another left arm spinner, there, actually. Um, but yeah, and then last summer, he, you know, was absolutely crazy. But what Morgan said was, which, like, such an interesting comment, was that he thought that, that, that Stokes' batting last summer was more important or as important for England as his batting this summer, despite the fact this summer, his, mm. you know, he was a lot more restrained, a lot more measured, um, and his output was a lot better. He said that in terms of style and sort of proving to people, this is how I want you to play and it's going to work and you can trust me on this. You're not going to get dropped if you're out slogging. That was such an important thing for that team, which I thought was um, really interesting. So I, I wonder if Basball 
can work without root in the same way that we've done another episode that will be up in a couple of weeks about the one day DNA. I wonder if England style can work in one day cricket without root in the same way, because essentially if you go back to that great period where they were the best one day team in the world, I think root was averaging something like 70 or 80 in the middle overs at better than a runner ball, right? That's impossible right? People should not be allowed to do that over a long period of time. It was over like three or four years. It was ridiculous what he was doing. You know, Coley was doing it, but Coley was doing it with a strike rate of like 75 or 80, right? Which is a normal way of doing, of, of being able to do that. And if you look at, if you look at what Root is doing now, the difference between him uh, before and after, when, you know, before baseball and after baseball is that he's batting a lot more like he did in the middle overs of one day cricket. Right? There's a lot of talk about how, oh, they're bringing to T20 game to test cricket. They're actually not. They're bringing that middle sort of one-day thing. And Pope is batting a very similar way. You know, those, he's taking micro chances occasionally, um, Pope. And he's obviously he's got this whole thing about where he stands down the wicket and, and all this sort of stuff. Um, and probably you would say that Stokes is doing that same thing now after batting like his ass was on fire for a while, right? And essentially what they're doing is they're working out a way to score it around a runner ball without taking massive risks, which is, I think, the, the real strength of the one-day success that England had. Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think I completely agree. And I think that, that Root's ability to sort of cruise, um, England talk a lot about cruising speed internally, about the, that ability, as you say, to play low-risk cricket while also scoring at a, a very good strike rate. Um, and Root's done exactly that. And I think that, again, go, partly goes back to the value of the top order being attacking and sort of generally pushing the field back. Um, but also, if you look, you know, he obviously... Softening the ball as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he also, I think, has generally... I, I don't have the data to back this up, but I would imagine has scored pretty quickly in the, at the early part of his innings and probably attacked more at the start of his innings for the first, say, 10 to 15 balls. And then pushes that obviously pushes the field back because you know you need to stop the bleeding somehow and then that means he can just knock it about all day so it, you know there was a lot of chat obviously and for good reason about roots reverse scoops at the start of the second day was it the second day the third day at uh, edge baston um of the of the that first ashes test but um obviously he missed the first one and then the second over he did it to boland um, and I remember this vividly. There was um, he, he played the reverse and then Cummins changed around the field. And there was only one fielder between... Um, th there was a guy at sort of wide gully or short third man. And there was a guy at mid-on. And the only guy between them on that huge part of the field was one guy extra cover who drove one straight past him pretty much before, almost immediately after. But basically, the, va the value of that reverse scoop which is obviously the ultra attacking option and the sort of basketball bit of route that people associate with route, um, is that it changes the field around and then suddenly means that there's huge gaps which he can just pick off all day. And I, I completely agree that um, you know it's it's very difficult for England to to be as good as they have been without him um, scoring runs. I think you, you've seen that to some extent in that um, you know they they looked so so much more polished sort of on that, that in that oval test where he did pretty well. Um, and also in that, it, you know, every time he was in the series, he he looked like he was about to score a hundred. Often ended up, you know, he obviously got two two grubbers, I think, in the series. One from Hazelwood and one from Murphy, I think, at the Oval. Um, but he, you know, yeah, he got the two toughest balls in the series. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and even still, did did really well. 
Um, but yeah, I, I think you're spot on that Root is, is such a key part of basketball. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Harry Brooks, the weird one, right? Because he, he doesn't real. he's almost playing the butler role, but from the one-day team, I should say, yep. But the butler role slightly earlier in the order, right? Like, it almost would make more sense to me if Harry Brooks sometimes came in at number four and sometimes came in at number six or seven. Yeah. And they haven't quite got to that point, but it wouldn't surprise me if they do. But he's the one that is, because he plays in such a distinctive way, and we still don't know how good Harry Brook is. And, you know, after the IPL, everyone said he was, uh, you know, a, a busted flush and then he struggled a little bit. Then he's come back and we, we don't know wh- how good he is, uh, where his end game is at the moment. But he's the one that, kind of is playing a little bit more like it's not he's not even playing red ball cricket at all yeah and he's he's also um you know he's the one that's played the least 50 over cricket in this team actually which is i suppose a, a mildly interesting thing and in that he's played three odis and something like 15 one day games to yorkshire because of the fact that he's um you know it, it since the 100 came in uh a lot of england england's best white ball players haven't played any domestic 50 over cricket in Bristol early in his career so he probably doesn't have that i suppose natural cruising speed that that Root does um so you know often sort of errs one side or the other and usually on the on the attacking end of the spectrum which is why he strikes at 90 in tests but um yeah I I, I think um I think it, it's an interesting situation with him I suppose him and Bairstow were kind of sandwiched around Stokes at the moment aren't they and Stokes has sort of become a more um almost a more almost the most orthodox player in the England team in terms of He's he's the Morgan of the of the the test team, isn't yeah. he? At the moment, whereas Brook Brook is sort of yeah, um, as you say, he's almost like Butler, but coming in one one spot earlier and adding a bit of chaos to it. But I suppose what we've seen from Brook is that when he has got in, when he got in in the Ashes, so particularly I'm thinking day one at the Oval, it completely changed the tempo of the game and that partnership with with Moeen and becomes very destructive, very hard to stop. Um, and and I think sort of. Yeah, I, I don't know what the answer is in terms of how good Brook is and sort of how, how I think almost more interesting than what his average settled around. I'd be really interested to see what his strike rate ends up settling around because I don't know whether he'll go through a phase where he, you know, reverts to becoming a sort of uh, a player who strikes at 50 for a while or whether he's going to just keep playing like he, he currently is. Um, but I think that would be super interesting. Um, we focus on the batting a lot with baseball, but there's actually a lot of things that they do that remind me of the bowling in one day cricket as well. Right. So specifically here, the one day team would aim to continually take wickets, even if they went for a little bit more runs. So Adil Rashid and, and Plunkett were obviously the two biggest parts of that. And they came up with very, very clear plans, right? And they would rotate through those plans. They had, you know, the fields that would back them up. And in neither way, I don't think Adil Rashid was ever one of the top um, best strike bowlers in one day cricket. 
And I don't think Liam Plunkett's numbers completely stand out compared to everyone else. But what it meant was because they were scoring these decent totals in one day cricket, if you were playing against them every 40 to 50 runs, you were going to lose a wicket in those middle overs, Mm. right? If you watch what they're doing now outside, forget the new ball stuff, right? I don't think they've changed their new ball plans all that much. But once they get past 25 to 30 overs, if the ball isn't doing anything, they essentially go back to that very similar those similar plants and the only difference is in test cricket you can be a bit more extreme right so you can if one bowl is working you can bowl one over one guy from 15 overs at one end but he might go with three different plans you can put seven guys on the offside you can put out the bouncer field whatever it may be but essentially they all they try and do is they've become the best team at the world at chipping away wickets between the 30 over mark and the 80 over mark of test cricket without using their you know uh, the conditions, but just by doing it on flat pitches by being clever. That's exactly what the white ball team did. Yeah, and I think the it's only it's only sort of just dawned on me, but um, obviously he didn't play in the Ashes. But Leach's um, sort of his relationship with Stokes, I think, has been very similar in a lot of ways to what Rashid's was with Morgan in sort of early days of England's white ball revolution, where um, you know the message that Rashid always got was, you know, we'd almost rather that you got four for 80 than none for 50 from your 10 overs because we will slow scoring enough by taking wickets. Um, and that is entirely what you need to do. That's your role. Um, you know, it, we don't care if you get hit for a few sixes as long as you're attacking. And that is exactly what Stokes has tried to do with Leach. Um, again, Leach's, Leach's numbers under Stokes versus under Root are actually surprisingly similar. Um, but the sort of the way that Leach has been talked about has gone from being... He, he, he was spoken about by, you know, throughout that time of Root, it was, you know, this is a guy that can take wickets in the subcontinent and can sort of hold up an end in England. Whereas Stokes is co- sort of constantly pumping Leach up and making him out to be this sort of, you know, this brilliant spinner who is going to change games for England. And it, it sort of works at times. You know, there was obviously that game at Headingley in 2022 where he took 10 for against New Zealand. And you had situations there where, you know, he got a bit of luck at times as well. But, um, you know, he, he, he sort of tries to make sure that, um, you know, it, Leach will always say, oh, can we push mid on back or whatever? And Stokes will say, nope, he's staying up and that, that's that. Um, and similar with with Morgan and Rashid, where, you know, it, it, Morgan would say to Rashid, what are you going to do? And he would tell him what he was going to do and he would set a field accordingly. And then Rashid would say, you know, what about this, this, this? And Morgan would say, no, I think this is the right thing for the ball that you've said. Sort of inherent trust grows. And I think that, I think they've been managed very similarly. Um, and yeah, I think you're spot on about the short ball stuff as well. If you think about Plunkett's most sort of effective wicket-taking deliveries in the middle overs were sort of cross-seamers banged in halfway down. And England, a lot of this summer, have been, you know, sometimes cross-seam, sometimes not. But um, a lot of it has been very similar where, you know, you set the set the trap and, um, yeah, try and try and get really weird random wickets, which England have it sort of managed to do quite successfully against Australia. Yeah, I mean, you know, no one had Ollie Robertson becoming Liam Plunkett on their bingo card. Yeah. Um, but that just shows you that even when they didn't have the players, they were they were still willing to go with those plans. And they were the, I, I think it was during the 2019 World Cup where they were really the team that went most all in with the bouncers when, you know, in, in certain conditions, although the West Indies certainly followed them very, very closely. Um, and so they were the head, the head of the game there and they seem to be ahead of a game here if you take out Neil Wagner out of all these situations. Um, but I mean, as a team rather than as an individual player. Yeah. But also you just look at, you watch Ben Stokes and Joe Root bowl. And, you know, I, I remember watching, I've always been fascinated by Root because 
he's not very good. But what he is, is very, very clever and willing to take a lot of chances, which is actually what you want of your part-time bowler. It's why he's not very good as a specialist bowler. Because unlike someone like Travis Head, who actually has a very decent off-spinner, Joe Root's off-spinner is very, very ordinary. But Joe Root's skill as a bowler is, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try this. And next over, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try this. Which means you can't settle against him. And that's what Ben Stokes does as well, right? Ben Stokes will come in here, bowl three outswingers and be like, oh, well, he hasn't nicked one of these. All right, I'll try three Yorkers. Mm. All right, that doesn't work. Next over, I'll bowl three short balls, right? And it's, you know, now I'll bowl a knuckleball or a leg cutter or whatever it has been. Again, it's just them chipping away over and over and over again. And I, I, because the batting is so exciting in, in test cricket or in baseball and in the Morgan era, right? It's obvious that's where we go. Yeah. But if they weren't taking regular wickets, they'd still be getting their asses hand to them, right? And they haven't really upgraded their bowling um, compared to upgrading their batting. I think they have probably marginally upgraded their batting um, from that previous era to this era. Yeah, I, uh, but also I think, you know, talking about short ball stuff and sort of not necessarily having the players to do it and just manufacturing them, I think Broad was talking at the end of his career about, you know, I feel like a bowled more more bumpers in the last 14 months than in the 14 years before that and I think that's that's probably true in that Broad is you know England have not reinvented test cricket by getting a 81 82 mile an hour seamer to bang it in halfway down but they have managed to you know you think about head wicket at Old Trafford that was Broad 600 that is not a traditional Stuart Broad wicket bowling you know caught at long leg by Joe Root someone top edging a hook um but it, it, it's sort of become what Broad it what Broad has been for basketball, which has been, you know, someone who is willing to buy into every strategy that Stokes has come up with. And I think that was a sort of similar thing that Plunkett did at a sort of relatively similar stage of his career, in fact, with, mm. with Morgan, where, um, you know, let's try funky stuff and see what happens. And, um, and there's the also there's well, another parable there as well, because that was at the point at where Broad was getting dropped all the time, right? He no longer felt like he was safe in the team. And Plunkett was, you know, brought back into the team. He wasn't sure of his role. So you're, you're literally, you're getting the most out of someone by giving them a role and saying, look, this was probably going to be tougher than you. <laughs> you're not going to be bowling your little floaters around off stump here anymore. You're going to have to bowl the hard yards. And saying to Liam Plunkett, you're just going to bowl with a shit old ball in the middle. Good luck. You know, These are not good roles, but these guys have bought into it and in the end have probably had great finishes to their careers because of that. Yeah, and I, I think there is also something in um, like the... The, the relationship between batting and bowling, and, and like as you were talking about with regards, you know, teams having to take slightly more risks against England in one in one day cricket because of the fact that they were either you know often chasing big totals or sort of anticipating England being able to chase big totals, so sort of shooting a little bit higher than they would have otherwise. And I think that there's a similar thing in in Test cricket. Like we often think of batting and bowling as completely separate parts of the game, and there's nothing to do with them. But I think there are certainly times this summer where it looked like and across across basketball generally, I think, where um, teams do weird stuff because of the fact that they're slightly, you know, the sort of buzzword that someone was rattled, but because they, England are sort of in their heads about the fact that we don't really know what a, a good score is anymore. And, um, you know, we obviously talk about the, I know you're a big fan of the third innings pickle theory, but I think there's a reason that England have been able to pull off a lot of run chases. And they've often been pretty good bowling in the third innings of a match because teams don't know how high they should aim and end up um, getting themselves into a bit of a mess and then England's get over the line. Matt Roller, thank you very much. People go and buy White Hot. What's the full title? White Hot. White Hot, the inside story of England cricket's double world champions.
I also like that you did this whole podcast without mentioning Tim Whipple. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Barat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orajoti Saina Pai and Maida Akam, both producing podcasts, while Mukunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content. Sports Social Podcast Network.